Hey, super friends, this is Elena, and I'm here to say... No, I'm only joking. I'm not going to bust out a rap song like your Tio Pepe from Sunland Park. But what I am going to do is tell you about another way to support us and the show. Every week, we broadcast a new episode. 52 is the amount of episodes that we released last year. The number of bonus episodes that we released was one. Many more could have been recorded for only $2 a month. That's just six cents a day. You can receive our episodes a week early and ad-free. Join online and Tio Pepe will personally send you a welcome kit with your free stickers. Your donation says, we are here to help you. Please log on right now at patreon.com slash technically a conversation. On February 6, 1945, a legend was born, Bob Marley. As a child, he was a palm reader, and his first album was not reggae, but ska. When Bob Marley and the Whalers accepted $2,000 to go home after being stranded in the UK, he promised an album in repayment and delivered, this time not ska. We chat about his assassination attempt and how he was diagnosed with cancer, and a bit about his music, next on Technically a Conversation. Super friends, welcome to another episode of Technically a Conversation. Here, we like to share an interesting topic or story with each other, which we've recently learned and hope you find it interesting too. I'm one half of your host, Cicela, today. Joining me as always is the trusty Jose. <laughs> How are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Not bad at all. The trusty of what, may I ask? No, no, you're like, oh, you're like the dependable, the trusty. <laughs> yeah. I'm the one that doesn't have a life, so I'm always available. That's, <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> we love that you're doing it as a sacrifice for us and all the super friends out there. <laughs> if I didn't love doing it, I wouldn't do it. I. That's true. This is absolutely true. So for clarification of our super friends, I think everybody knows that you love metal, right? That's correct. You live, breathe metal. <laughs> I like all music, but that's probably my favorite. Yes, I know. I was, of course, joking. I know you do like other genres besides metal. Like, for example, we both love Jessica Hernandez. Yes. We like some Jason Mraz. We even like some Sam Smith. Totally crazy. Yes. One genre that I'm not sure if we've talked about is do you like reggae? Do you? I do not know. Oh, interesting. That's probably one of the few genres that I don't like. That in like country, right? I like some country. Well, I like some of the old country before it started getting really political and racist. Okay. So country is still above reggae for you. Yes. If I had to rank, I would probably say metal is my favorite. Uh-huh. And then probably soul and... Um, like R&B. Yeah, like R&B. Yeah, that would be my, my second favorite. Oh. Um, and then probably that after that, I like Spanish music. But oh, well, speaking of Spanish music, I guess if you would consider mana reggae, I do like mana. They do have some reggae songs. Yes, you're right, though. Yeah, they kind of have rock and they got reggae. They got they kind of got it all, really. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so if you consider mana reggae, I do like mana. The Police even had some kind of reggae feel vibes on some songs. 
I probably like maybe like two or three police songs. I'm not huge on them. Oh, you don't like the police and you don't like the police, the group music. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I'm from the the school of thought of Ice Cube, where he says, fuck the police, but with a little more force. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. Okay. Well, then, uh, okay, then you're going to love this episode. (laughs) All right. You know what? I enjoy finding out about artists that I'm not familiar with. I'm not above changing my mind if I enjoy a a group or an artist or something. So don't ever feel like you can't present something because you feel like I won't like it. By all means, always present it because I'm always anxious to listen to stuff that I'm not familiar with. I mean, hey, you hung with me in the high heels episode and stuff. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Clearly, yeah, that's a... That's not necessarily a factor, (laughs) the biggest factor. No, not at all. So let me ask you, when it comes to reggae, is there a particular artist that comes to mind? Probably Bob Marley. Yes, that's ding, ding, ding. That's who we're going to talk about today. Awesome. Yes. By the way, last month, we released a bonus episode of five songs we each were loving for 2023. If you guys are interested in that bonus episode and other really cool content, it is for our patrons. We welcome one and all with open arms. <laughs> Patreon.com slash technically a conversation, y'all. Yes, for sure. My little sick plug. And we've been putting a lot of little bonus snippets on there. There was one last week that we were discussing. It, it was something where we kind of went off tangent on the Peppy Van Winkle episode. And I didn't really feel like it really fit the episode, but it was a good discussion. So I think that that's probably something that we'll do now. If there's something where we go on, off on a tangent, and it doesn't fit the episode, we'll just put it on our Patreon. You know, that way it doesn't get completely deleted. It'll be on there for anybody that wants to listen to it. Yeah, I have another bonus um, story that we'll add also. Very related, but you know, it's just, it's not needed for the story, which is why we can cut it. But for our patrons who really enjoy our silliness, we can add it for sure. Perfect. Make those $2 a real big value. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with my with my dumb stories. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Well, this comes from a couple of video bios that I watched. Um, the links, of course, are always in the show notes. Show notes. <laughs> <laughs> the first one I watched is called Bob Marley, Up Close and Personal. Dude, I got to tell you how cool this one was because it was interviews with all people that were super duper close to him. Like, I hate when it's like, oh, this is like his cousin twice removed. <laughs> I'm like, they didn't know him. You know what I mean? But it was really, it really was people that were close to him. It was his manager. It was his wife, Rita Marley. It was his son, Ziggy. I know he had a lot of sons, but Ziggy specifically. One of his photographers, like early, early on. And then another music journalist who like caught on to him, like really, really early on. Let's get to know him, shall we? We shall. (laughs) He was born in St. Parish on February 6th, 1945. Wacky first fact is he was not born Robert Marley, but Nesta Robert Marley. When Mama Marley went to the Jamaican government office, I guess I'm assuming for birth certificate and paperwork, I don't know, whatever, in a very audacious move, the officer suggested to her to change his name to Robert Nesta. And he said, because Nesta sounded too girly. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> okay. I think I would get like very Doja Cat all up on this. Of course, it was a different time, right? But this is like totally fitting. Yeah, bitch, I said what I said. <laughs> that's kind of what I would have. <laughs> that's what I would have wanted to say. But of course, you know, I'll let it slide because it was a different time back then. <laughs> One of my uncles, his name is Gilberto. He was born here in, in El Paso. So when they went to go do the um, birth certificate, my grandmother said, his name is Gilberto. Well, the I don't want to call him an idiot, but he ended up spelling Gilberto with an H instead of a G. So this presented problems for him for decades, especially because oh. my grandma never looked at the birth certificate to see how it was spelled. So she kept it like that. Oh, no. So every time they called him Gilberto? Well, he always went by Gilberto with a G, but like on the legal paperwork, it was Gilberto with an H. Oh, no, that sucks. It does. Oh, man. Poor guy. Yeah, he <laughs> was like, I say, analfabeta, like yeah. that illiterate person, you know. <laughs> that dummy. Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. Well, guess what Bob Marley's first job was, kind of like as a as a youngin, 12 years old, Bob Marley. Um, He was born in Jamaica, right? Correct, yes. So I would imagine that he did something maybe like in the tourist department, maybe. Um, That's a good guess. Yes. Mm -hmm. Am I on the right path? Yeah. Um, yeah. I was thinking something touristy, something that had to do with hospitality, perhaps. Um, maybe um, working in a hotel or a restaurant or something. He was a palm reader. Oh, shit. <laughs> I know. That's kind of cool, right? That is. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was so interesting. Anyway. The weirder part is that one of his friends said that most of his predictions in some way came true. Wow. <laughs> I know. I don't know. Either he's a really good friend and he's covering for him or that's just like really freaky. <laughs> yeah. Or he's a good mentalist. Yes. Yeah. When he got older, he moved from St. Anne Parish to Trenchtown in Kingston, Jamaica. And this is actually where he started to dedicate his time to becoming a musician. At what age did you join your first band, Jose? Uh, I was in high school, so I would say maybe like 14 or 15. Oh, wow. That's really cool. Oh, that's young. Okay. Yeah, we weren't any good, but <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say we were making music together. It was more like making noise together. Oh, hey. <laughs> There's a lot of bands out there that are still making noise. <laughs> that's so cool. So in 1962, Bob was 18 years old. That was when he joined his first band. And then in 1965, just 20, 21 years of age, he recorded his first album. Wasn't that really quick? Yeah, for sure. That should show that he had talent, like straight out the bat, um, straight out of the gate, rather. The group was called the Wailing Wailers, and it consisted of Peter, Bob, and Bunny. They worked really well together because they all harmonized wonderfully. But here's the weird thing. They were a ska group. That's right. Wow. Your other listen up, y'all. Fact is Bob Marley's first album was not reggae. <laughs> it was ska. I would not have guessed that. Nor would I. <laughs> Did you ever get into ska? I'm definitely a huge fan of punk. But I think that at the time that ska was really popular, I hadn't really developed a like for like trumpets and wind instruments and everything. So I think that kind of put me off on it. I think if we were to go through a modern ska revival, I would probably get into it much more now because I do love horns and other wind instruments now yeah they have a lot of trumpets and it's just real rich but it again it's got a little punk a little like crazy for those of you unfamiliar with what ska is it's just like a faster tempo than reggae 
real heavy, accented on the upbeats. And um, just to talk about his first album, that was Ska. There were a total of 12 songs on this first album. And one of them contains his most famous One Love song. I don't know if you know that song. No. Oh, it sounds super different. I'm going to play a little snippet from the Studio One YouTube link in the show notes again. That's very different from what we've heard now, but it's really fun. I really love this version. It is so ska, but again, I think if everybody loves the original that everyone knows, just know that was actually the original, y'all. <laughs> so he re-released the, the song in another format, I guess, like as a reggae song? As a reggae song, exactly. They even covered the Tom Jones song, What's New, Pussycat? Whoa, whoa. <laughs> I love Tom Jones. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's in there. And you can also find that on YouTube in case anyone's curious about what that sounds like from Bob Marley. But again, it, we're also putting it in the show notes. It's so interesting. It's so different. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. I really liked it. The album cover is all three of them, Peter, Bunny, and Bob, with really, really short hair, almost very like Western American, you know, just a typical male haircut. And then they have like a very traditional ska suit, you know, skinny leg, nicely tailored, skinny tie. Um, it was really, it was really interesting to see. This was, again, really big in Jamaica at the time, actually really everywhere. And what year was this in? 1965. Wow. I, I would have never imagined that ska was around that long. Yes, it really was. I was blown away by all the things that they presented in the documentary. I'm telling you, it was really cool. And it was really short. It was maybe about an hour. So hopefully, if, if you have time, you guys should check it out. But it was really cool. Even just to see them, you know, like that. I was like, what? Who is that? I guess when I think of Bob Marley, I think of his, you know, his hair everywhere. And, you know, the iconic dreads. Yeah. Well, I definitely want to check out that uh, Tom Jones cover. <laughs> oh, you got to. I put, yeah, I have it in the, the show notes. Cool. Show notes. Show notes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and you know the saying, behind every successful man is a woman, right? Mm -hmm. Bob was no exception here. But also, this was literally true because one of his backup singers was, uh, they were known as the I-3s, the three ladies, was Rita Marley. She was one of the backup singers. Isn't that cool? Wow. In 1968, they had their first child together. They would go on to have three children together. In 1970, 71, Bob Marley started working with reggae producers, Lee Perry, Leslie Kong. Bob had started to distance himself from this quasi-American musical tone, and he was really trying to better define their own unique sound. And as fate would have it, the founder of Island Records, a man by the name of Chris Blackwell, he was looking for another band to sign and saw Bob and just saw him with such a large presence, a rock star presence is how he described him. He even said, quote, I felt like he could be as big as Jimi Hendrix at the time. Dude, that's saying a lot. Jimi Hendrix was huge. Yeah, definitely. And look how this went down. Bob Marley and the Whalers were straight up left high and dry in London, just completely stranded. They had no way to get home. They needed an advance 
for everyone to get home, of course, they took about $2,000 from this Chris Blackwell person, the guy who was the Island Records founder. And they said, okay, we'll take the $2,000 and we're going to promise to deliver you an album. Blackwell honestly did say that he didn't expect to see them ever again, (laughs) but they were men of their word and they delivered the album, which was called Catch a Fire. And it was released in 1973. The music was changed up a little bit. The tempo was sped up slightly. They straightened up the rhythm patterns for a more kind of Western audience, people that really listened more to like rock. And they added some rock guitar. So they were trying to make it a little more palatable, but still kind of almost trying to transition it. This is how they ended up with more of a fusion of reggae and rock. And there's a really good song. It's called Concrete Jungle off that album. And Stir It Up is also on there. It's a great one. I don't know if you know that one, but Stir It Up, Little Dot. It's a really, really great song. It doesn't sound familiar, but if it has rock guitars, I'll probably check it out. Yeah. Oh, I think Concrete Jungle is pretty cool. I think you would like that one for sure. Cool. On the cover art, Bob is smoking the uh, Jamaican herb, shall we say, the ganja. (laughs) (laughs) Here's where you can start to see that his hair was growing out. It wasn't in dreads yet, but you can see that it's starting to get a little long. For some reason, it wasn't an immediate hit. It only sold about 15,000 copies. But of course, now that he's huge, it's sold well over a million in sales. One of the other interviews was with Dennis Morris, and this was like a beginning photographer. He had read that Bob was coming to the UK for his first tour. They did like a little speakeasy kind of venue. He said he just patiently waited for Bob to show up. And when he finally did, he just said, hey, could I photograph you? And Bob graciously agreed and said, hey, yeah, of course, come on in. Just like that, just like nothing. (laughs) Super friendly, very open. Dennis recalls them playing bigger venues and then bigger venues as they started to get a little bit bigger. They were almost like being thrusted into the mainstream. They played where rock bands were normally playing. And he said, Reggae bands never made it to those venues, which was weird because it could hold about 2,000 people, but only about 200 people were actually there, which kind of sucks a little bit. But he did say that Bob played his heart out like it was a sold out show. I thought that was pretty cool. Bob cut the tour short, though, because he had never seen snow before and he took it as a bad omen. (laughs) (laughs) They were very superstitious, I guess, you know. That's kind of sweet, though. It really is. I agree. It's endearing, I guess would be a better word. (laughs) It is very, yeah. No, you're right. It's very endearing quality. In 1973, Burnin came out, which was the next release. And this one had I Shot the Sheriff. Again, I think everybody covered that one. Even Eric Clapton covered that. You know who also covered that? The Doors. I didn't even know that. I didn't know that. But I have heard that song and I've heard Eric Clapton's version of it as well. Yeah. No, they're both really good. Mm-hmm. Chris and Bob, uh, Chris Blackwell, the island guy, um, and Bob Marley argued a little bit about speeding up the tempo. Eventually, Chris, you know, the owner of the whole island thing, of course, he won out. Another fun fact is we know English is spoken a little bit differently in Jamaica. And when it was first being recorded, the song I Shot the Sheriff, Bob sang it, I shot the sheriff, but I didn't shot the deputy. And that Chris guy kept saying that he was reminding him but I didn't shoot the deputy. He was trying to correct his grammar. And in the interview, he says, I had to just stop myself because I was like, he's going to sing it the way he wants to sing it. But of course, it ended up correctly, grammatically correct, I guess, 
um, after all. But that's pretty interesting that it was originally, I didn't shot the deputy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> also in 1973, he released Natty Dread, which was one of the first really big selling albums for them. And now this is really, we really start to see him as we would envision him today. The classic dreads, the I3s were starting to come uh, more front, like front of the stage because the Whalers had already left. And Bob was apparently a bit of a jokester. I didn't even know he had like a really fun personality like this. A bad journalist came to interview him, asked really awful questions. You clearly found out that he did no homework on their music. Bob had another classic huge spliff, and he passed it to the journalist. The journalist took two, like, massive hits off the <laughs> joints, most likely thinking it was just a typical British joint, but they traveled with their weed. They would have, like, actual luggage full of just their ganja. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, after the two hits, by the time he gave it back to Bob, he was a mumbling wreck. <laughs> he said that with a sly smile, you know, he kind of like took it back with a little devilish smile. And this is how Bob indirectly and kindly ended the interview. <laughs> because the journalist was done. <laughs> That's funny. So he was like me on a good day. <laughs> yeah, yes, <laughs> he was quite the jokester like you. <laughs> no, I, I meant the bumbling fool or whatever. <laughs> oh, <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Of course, we don't have time to go into each and every album in depth. I would love to, but he was really prolific. He was almost like pumping out two albums every year, which is kind of crazy. But just know that he somehow rode this fine line of singing political songs. He sang religious songs without feeling preachy. Many of his songs, as I said, were really spiritual, very uplifting Bob himself said that he considered himself a messenger because he was so close to Jah, a.k.a. God. The backup singers said so many of them saw him as a clairvoyant or a prophet almost. One of the things that he had said also in another documentary that I watched, which was called Who Shot the Sheriff? He said he couldn't really be put into one category. He said, my mom is black. My dad is white. I can't really be put into one lame. And he even added, I'm here to bring unity. That's a really huge sentence. I mean, I am proud of myself if I tie my shoe correctly. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Much less put myself on a, that's amazing. But I mean, he really did. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that later. I think the secret to his success besides his massive talent was that he gave so much in every live performance. Loads of fans were just blown away each and every time they went to go see him. The wonderful aspect about Bob's performing was all natural. It was never the same performance twice. Even his dancing, there wasn't choreography, so to speak. His manager said, if you look at the dancing, what he's really doing is the motions of football, also known as soccer. So you got to watch the way he's like on stage and he's like, it looks like he's dribbling the ball. And I was like, oh my God, he's so right. <laughs> you know, you should have brought our girl Paula Abdul to choreograph. She wasn't born yet, probably. <laughs> oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Where's her mama at? Yeah, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Island Records, uh, that Chris Blackwell guy, he said that Bob tried to distance himself from Jamaican political parties. He didn't want to say that he was one or the other. But Bob did agree to play this concert in December 
It was December 5th, 1976. It was called Smile Jamaica. And this was really an effort to bring awareness to the killings and all the strife that was going on in Kingston. It was really awful, just dead bodies everywhere you could see just because there was like shootouts. It was just very Wild West style. But of course, it was more politically driven. And he wanted to bring light to that. And he even said this would be almost like an early Christmas present. So December 3rd, he's rehearsing in Kingston for that Smile Jamaica concert. And it was early in the evening. Bob was peeling a grapefruit. His manager was also in the room. Some guys busted in and shot Bob. Two guys, four guns, both with a gun in each hand. It was really crazy. This is the first time he realized that what he's doing is making an impact. Once you know you have haters, right? Apparently, you know you've made it or something. But he really did start fearing for his life after this. And even if it was in a war-torn country like uh, his home country, if you get an opportunity to leave, of course you're going to leave. So he really did say that there's no way he could stay here. I don't blame him. Yeah. He moved to England and he kind of put himself in exile. And this is why the album is called Exodus. And it was a really great album. And everyone kept saying, because he felt so comfortable and secure in England, that's why he was able to make such a beautiful album like that. Here's a good time to cut to commercial, but when we return, we'll find out how he got diagnosed with cancer. Welcome to Hashtag History. I'm Rachel. And I'm Leah. And if you're a history nerd, or even a history hater, this is the podcast for you. Even if history was your least favorite subject in school, we can guarantee you will like this podcast because we talk about all the things that your history textbooks did not. Things like how the Bonnie Prince Charles and his Jacobite uprising was a bit of a disaster. Yeah, or how the pharaoh Akhenaten was so disliked by Egyptians that they literally purged his name from nearly all of their records and pretended like he had never existed. And we do all of this while drinking and rating a custom-made cocktail specific to that week's topic. So grab a drink, take a seat, and hang out with us each week as we learn all about history's greatest stories of controversy, conspiracy, and corruption. Welcome to Scary Savannah and Beyond. We're a podcast based in the Savannah, Georgia area. Savannah is widely known as the most haunted city in America. We bring you stories not just from Savannah, but from all over. Thus, the beyond. We cover a myriad of topics on our show, including the paranormal, oddities, unsolved mysteries, true crime, and bi-weekly reports from our local police blotter. We also do a weekly segment called What We're Watching. And we'll also discuss the ongoing antics of our two furry canine friends on our segment, Layla and Coffee Talk. So tune in every week on Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time to Scary Savannah and Beyond. Everywhere podcasts are sold. You know podcasts are free. What do you mean free? I'm doing this for free? That's scary. No, that's Scary Savannah and Beyond. Welcome back. We're back. <laughs> did you have a lovely break? I did. I just sat here quietly. Yeah, so did I. <laughs> Clearing my throat. I was like, uh, 
<laughs> so before we left, we were talking about the album Exodus. It was still very political, talking about illogical killings and death. This is why the people of Jamaica loved him, though. He was really putting into words and songs, really, all the heartaches, the battles that they were going through. He also sang about the connection between him and his fans in this song called Natural Mystic. It was really a reflection of his life where there was love songs. He was seeing shows himself. He was playing football. Every And by football, of course, I mean soccer. The real football. The real football. <laughs> not the American football. No, not the Cowboys football. Right, right. <laughs> but the album was a huge smash. Time Magazine labeled it the album of the century. That's huge for a reggae album. So you can get idea, you can get an idea of the heights that he had actually reached. During the tour of Exodus in 1977, doctors had diagnosed melanoma, which is a skin cancer, in Bob's right foot. This is why a part of his big toe was removed in hopes to prevent the spread of cancer. But sadly, it did not. Dennis, a photographer that we had mentioned earlier, he was actually there in Germany when Bob was injured. It was a day off from performance. He was playing soccer. He kind of got tackled a little bit. And this is how he hurt his toe to the point where his toenail came off. Oh, God. Yeah. But the toe wouldn't heal for months. And no one thought anything was serious, which I guess should have been the first clue. 1978, he released Kaya album. It had some love songs again there. He lived in Miami for about five months at this time. And he lived with his mom. He had his children with them. All was great with the world. So this particular album is much lighter. He was still married to Rita, but actually was in a relationship with Cindy Breakspear. She was a former beauty queen. She was the Miss World. Very beautiful. Oh, wow. Yeah. They had a child together as well. Um, I believe she is the mother of Damien Marley. In June 1978, he won the Peace Medal of the Third World from the UN for being such a huge advocate for peace and justice in Jamaica, especially during such political unrest. He actually got the two leaders of the opposing parties to come on stage and kind of join hands together. Not like shake hands briefly, but they were kind of like holding hands like above everyone's heads. And this is in this uh, One Love concert. It was really to symbolize unity. And I'm sure it was part of his master plan to try to, you know, bring unity, bring more peace, that type of thing. And I think this is where you start to see how people saw him as a hero. Even going back to that Smile Jamaica concert, even though he got shot, he still showed up and sang. He originally said he was only going to sing a couple of songs because he was afraid that they were going to take more shots at him and like finish the job. But he ended up playing over an hour and he opened up his shirt and kind of showed where like bullets had grazed him. Well, he really did get shot in the arm too, though, but there was some bullet grazing, I guess, on his chest. And he showed it and everybody went crazy. And this is where he was like, you can't kill me. It was pretty ballsy. I, this is where he starts to really elevate to this legendary status, I guess, you know? Right. So that same day that he got shot at, he still performed. Two days later, he did. Oh, two days later. Yeah. He was rehearsing on the third and on the fifth was the concert. Oh, okay. I thought he got shot at that same day that that he performed, I was like, oh my God, like he didn't even take like a break or anything. I would have at least <laughs> no, smoked no. a cigarette or something. <laughs> right? No, no. I mean, still being released, like that's pretty crazy. That's very ballsy. Yeah, that is. 
it is a lot. He had every right to stay home and, you know, but he was like, no, I'm going to show everyone that I'm still here and I'm still alive. I thought it was really fucking amazing. Yeah, I would have been like, peace out and took off. <laughs> I'm going to England. There's no guns there. <laughs> yeah, everybody loves me. Yeah. His last album he released was, uh, at least while he was still alive, was called Uprising. The album was the last push to get these uplifting messages in the forms of songs. There was a song called Redemption Song. It's really beautiful. It's just him. It's an acoustic guitar. It's very much a reflection of his life. A part of the lyrics says that these songs of freedom is all he ever has. It's really beautiful. Hopefully everybody is familiar with the song. If not, hopefully you get familiar with it. But it was really a simpler song that really got back to the roots of reggae, which I think is really beautiful and poetic at the same time because he really ended where he started, at least not with ska, but really where it all started with him. You know what I mean? Like reggae, like just kind of plain reggae. Dennis went to see him uh, one of the last times. He said he wasn't his usual self where he was like, Bob would normally tease him and he'd be like, oh, English boy. You know, he would call him like <laughs> these funny little, like tease him with certain names. But rather this time he had a very serious conversation about what life was all about. Bob played him a song, which Dennis didn't recognize because I guess it hadn't come out yet, but it was actually the redemption song. When Bob died in May of 1981, there were a ton of people who said reggae also died. But even Ziggy Marley, his son, said there's not just one type of reggae. It's not one person. You know, music is not defined by just one person. So I, I really love the fact that he, of course, loves his dad and respects his dad. But he was like, no, like our people can still have this, even though my dad has passed. So um, I knew that he had died of cancer, but it was skin cancer that he died of? Yeah, it was a really rare form of melanoma. It wasn't just like a regular melanoma, but it was a very rare form of melanoma. I guess I had always assumed that he died of lung cancer from all the smoking. No, that lungs were tip top, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So if he was playing soccer, you have to have good lungs for that. That's true. That's a lot of running. I didn't even think about that. 90 minutes. I, right. Ooh, that's a lot of running. Yeah. Don Taylor, Bob's manager, said, if you go to the ghettos of Jamaica, you'll see paintings or murals of two people, Jesus and Bob Marley. <laughs> His optimistic messages of hope, um, singing about really you can do anything is really his like loving legacy that he left behind. Uh, he really did fight to unite not just his own country, but like everywhere. Did you know that when the Berlin Wall came down, one of his songs was playing? I did not. I always assumed there was the wind of dreams or what, or was it the wind of change? Oh, the sound of change or something. Oh, yeah, the, that one. <laughs> yeah, the wind of change from the scorpions. Well, I'm sure that that couldn't could have been played too. Who knows? Because I'm sure it didn't come down in one song. <laughs> <laughs> so it could have been a bunch, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they played several albums during the, <laughs> the folly. Hasselhoff in there too. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, Hasselhoff is very big in Germany. I know. That's why I said <laughs> it. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, it's funny. I actually saw a performance of him in Germany. And like the people were going crazy, like if it was like Michael Jackson or some shit. Yeah, they're crying. Yeah. <laughs> it's really wild to see how much they love him. I was like, are we talking about the same guy? <laughs> well, I love the Hoff just because I grew up watching Knight Rider. So I love him, but I mean, his music is not great. <laughs> Agreed. I loved Knight Rider mostly because I wanted his car. Yes. But yes. <laughs> 
So Bunny Whaler said that Bob Marley is ever present. And then he still added ever. That's really comforting, I think, for all of who were really close to him. You know, those just in the studio with him and just hung out with him to know that he's ever present. I think that's great. I should note that he had 12 kids. Oh, my God. (laughs) He was busy. (laughs) He adopted one from Rita's first relationship. Many of his kids are musicians. One is married to Lauren Hill. If you guys don't know who Lauren Hill is, hit yourself on the head. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. Last interesting tidbit. First, let me ask you a question. Did you ever go to a concert just to see the opening act? I think a lot of the concerts that I go to now are just to see the opening act. Interesting. Okay, cool. Actually, this last concert that I went to with with our friend Elba. Yes. We went just to see the opening act. And then we didn't really stick around for anything else. <laughs> okay. Well, remind me, remind me to tell you a story that'll be for our patrons um, a little bit later about that too. And then did you ever end up going to a concert where it turned out the opener was better than the uh, headliner? Um, usually when I went to go see the opening act, the opening act was better. That's interesting. Wow. That's super cool, actually. In 1973... Sly and the Family Stone, they were on tour and they invited Bob Marley and the Whalers to open for them. But after just four shows, Sly said sayonara (laughs) to Bob and the Whalers because they were getting more attention than the headlining band. Wow. Can you believe it? We can't have that, Jose. (laughs) I remember hearing that about um, Ozzy Osbourne too. The first time he, he went on tour with Metallica, Metallica was opening up for Ozzy and Everybody was so blown away by Metallica that when Ozzy came out, he, I mean, there was no way he could deliver the same energy. Mm, of course, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, he was really disappointed that uh, <laughs> how good they were. <laughs> but see, kudos to him because he didn't cut him out. He was just like, all right, this guy's better. Like, cool. Yeah. Sly was like, uh, we are not having any of that. You, <laughs> you gotta go. <laughs> that is very dickish, I feel. It's pretty petty. Yeah, it's a little petty. (laughs) Another interesting fun fact that we'll close out with is February 6th is Bob Marley Day because, of course, that's his birthday. It's celebrated also in Canada and in L.A., but in L.A., for some reason, it's celebrated August 7th. I don't know why. (laughs) Maybe uh, August is February in the metric system. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Who understands Californians sometimes? I'm yeah, who kidding. knows? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is there any cool standouts on this particular bio that we talked about today? I do think that it's very remarkable that he was able to be so optimistic and have such a positive message despite all the violence that was going on around him. Yeah, I agree with that statement completely. I can really see how people really looked up to him and he he just sounded like a very vibrant, upbeat person, despite being shot, too. He was like, fuck it, I'm going to sing up here, too, still. Who cares? <laughs> that's really nuts. Yeah, that is very remarkable. I think that that's a quality that many more of us should have. Because I know with me, I usually get negative and bitter once things start going south for me. Yeah, I, I think it's good to try to remember Bob and his positive ways. And yeah, absolutely. Pull yourself out of the rut. Like, if anything, you haven't been shot. (laughs) So (laughs) that's definitely a good thing you've got going for you. (laughs) I've been shot at, but I have not been shot. (laughs) (laughs) Scary. Okay. Remind me to cancel our next dinner. (laughs) (laughs) 
they're going to kill you off. You know, I haven't been shot at for over 20 years, so we'll be okay, I think. Acceptable. Okay. <laughs> and actually, I don't think that was meant for us, so. Oh, good. Okay. Just caught in the crosshairs. That's okay. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we had someone write in, and we wanted to give them a special shout out. Zoe, thank you so much for sending us the email, and we hope you're fully recovered by now. Yes, and just for some context, she said that she's been sick for a few days, and she's been going through our podcast, and our podcast has been keeping her company while she's been sick. So thank you so much for discovering us, and we hope that you continue enjoying our episodes. Yes, buckle in. It's a crazy wild ride, as you can tell. <laughs> yes, and get better soon. Uh, yes, uh, hopefully you're all nice and recovered back to 100%. Also, a special thank you to our Patreons, Sophia, Natasha, Eric, and Angie. Thank you so, so much, you guys. You really do make this possible, this wackiness possible. We blame you. (laughs) (laughs) We hope you've been entertained by our chat and invite you to join us again next week. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review, hopefully a five-star one. (laughs) Tell a friend and subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. Yeah. Follow us on all the socials at... Greetings, T-A-C. Email us at greetings, T-A-C at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 915-317-6669 if you have a story to share share with us us. (laughs) about how you first discovered Bob Marley or anybody. Or ganja. Oh, no, no. (laughs)